And good afternoon and good evening, everybody. So we're here to do a special stream to discuss the official Amazon Lord of the Rings synopsis. Hi, everybody. Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor here. I am joined today by Maggie Park, director of the Mythgard Institute. Uh, and uh, we love talking adaptation stuff together. You may have heard us do some. We did uh, discussions of the Tolkien film when it came out. Film. and. Uh, we've done some uh, uh, some other discussions here lately. Um, so uh, I am uh, uh, this is this is pretty interesting stuff. There's I wouldn't say there's anything shocking in the synopsis. I mean, it's it's pretty much, you know, confirming the fairly apparent, you know, uh, conclusions that we had, I mean, like this, you know, oh, hey, they're doing the second age. That's not exactly news right now because, you know, we've. Uh, been seeing <laughs> that it was clearly second age stuff. Whenever you release a map with Numenor on it, it's fairly clear where we're located, right? That's uh, there's there, there 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 aren't too many options uh, there about that. So um, anyway, so that's where we are now. Um, so uh, so Maggie, what are you thinking? What are your you know sort of general thoughts, reactions? Um, to be perfectly honest, my immediate reaction, which I think I put out straight on Twitter, was. So, like, it, it just <laughs> right. it just didn't tell us anything. And frankly, right. it could have described any high fantasy. We had an unlikely hero. We had a band of patriots <laughs> that were gonna fight against a big evil. Like, right. so I, I have to say, it wasn't really revealing. No, uh, it was not very it, revealing. Yeah, I think upon like digging it down, which I'm sure we're gonna do in the next, you know, whatever, however long we're here. Digging down, you can kind of infer more. So it was fun to kind of unpack it slowly. Like all those mentions of locations and stuff, you can start to figure out what's going to be in that. Right. But you also have to assume that they were trying to engage an audience that has no knowledge of all of this Tolkien lore. So they kept it super broad and referred to things that they might know from Peter Jackson, but didn't refer to anything too specific to alienate anybody. So in its boringness, it was kind of effective. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's it's, you know, yeah, it, it's it's definitely effective, I think, as uh, as as promotion. But truly for, you know, Tolkien people who have been kind of pouring over this and hoping for, you know, juicy and details dying for anything new. Exactly. There's not so, so much that's very juicy. And yet it's nice to see some things actually confirmed right you know there's there was uh you know there was still some kind of chance that uh i mean like for instance it was it's it it was always conceivable that like the second age material was not going to really be the entire focus of you know the first season that's released they could have like done some kind of i don't know like set up work you know not like the peter jackson you know flashback at the beginning but uh but again you know it's but now we know, like, it's definitely going to be, you know, focused on the second age. You know, we, what everything we can expect to be released is going to be focused on the second age. And that's that's so that that's something that's definitely something. Well, and even and, and just this bit, you know, I mean, we've got five seasons, so it's entirely plausible that they're going to really slowly build up to things that we're more familiar with now. Yeah. But they're establishing that they're starting with something that we haven't seen yet. Yeah. And I was I was it was one of the things that I was, I was um, my assumption um, and I don't know if you think this is a fair assumption. My assumption was that this synopsis basically covers um, the first season. Right. That, the, you know, they're not giving yeah. a synopsis of like the whole five season no. run. Um, uh, I don't think they're at all organized for that. Yet. <laughs> I, I, I would. I mean, honestly, I would almost hope not. Right. I mean, like it's I mean, it's a good to plan, but it would be kind of nice to, you know, sort of let it grow a little bit organically, you know, as they yeah. go. So, um, 
you know, I think there's definitely something to be said for that. Um, now, Ray Burns points out very appropriately um, yeah, the 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 average viewer um, will be OK unless the average viewer is going to be expecting hobbits, <laughs> right? which is yes, uh, though it's an interesting question to me. Right. Because, uh, of course, yeah. the ancient history of hobbits. We know very, very little. I mean, like pre Smeagol, we know very little uh, about how there's some, of course, uh, couched in terms of speculation in the concerning Hobbit section in the prologue of the the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, But the actual history, like where really did Hobbits come from? When did there begin to be creatures who could be called Hobbits? Um, How and when exactly did that happen? The only claim in as much as it's a claim uh is that the hobbits have been around for longer than the big people think how long is that you know were they there in this are there hobbits in the second age i mean you know especially yeah who knows and in terms of like adaptation that's just enough of a nugget to be exciting because in terms of rights you know there's a lot of freedom with this adaptation to be able to play around as long as they don't contradict anything that already exists in the Tolkien text. So if there's not really a lot specifically about hobbits, they might run with that. You know, they might create something and have this storyline about hobbits that maybe feeds into something we know from the more modern text, but we haven't seen yet. So who knows? Yeah, exactly. And um, the, the, so the, the, the rule just to explain uh, I mean, and, and I, I don't know. Don't don't get me wrong. I don't know anything about the details of the agreement uh, with that Amazon has. You know, we don't know what their rights encompass. That's one of the big mysteries about this whole thing. However, I can tell you a little bit about how these kinds of rights deals are generally articulated. And the way that that generally works is if there is a character or a story that appears in a in a work that you have the rights to. But the main version of that story is in another work that you don't have the rights to, then you can't tell that story. So the clearest illustration of this, Baron and Luthien, both named in The Lord of the Rings, right? We get the whole Baron and Luthien story in the in, in Aragorn's poem. Uh, they come up in the narrative, of course, in the Stairs of Kirith Ungold conversation. So, you know, you might be tempted to look at that and be like, well, hey, so technically, if you have the rights to The Lord of the Rings, you can do the Baron and Luthien story. too. No, you cannot. Legally, you cannot, because the main version of the Baron and Luthien story is in the Silmarillion. So if you don't have Silmarillion rights, you can't even talk about Baron and Luthien, even though they are in the Lord of the Rings text. So that's that's the general way that these kind of uh, uh, rights agreements work. Um, So one of the things, therefore, that's really interesting um, with the confirmation of uh, Numenor, like their use of the name Numenor (laughs) right in the in the release um, Clearly, you know, they they have the rights to Numenor. So what does that mean? You know, uh, because obviously Numenor comes up throughout the Lord of the Rings. And yet where where exactly does the primary version of the Numenor story lie? And what does that say? So so one question that people have already asked me, does this suggest that they have complete or partial Silmarillion rights? Because, you know, if you take the Akalabaith as the primary version of the Numenor story, then they would have to have the rights to that in order to tell the Numenor story, even though, again, the Numenor story is alluded to many, many, many times throughout the Lord of the Rings. Um, But there are two things that I would say to that. First of all, of course, it is conceivable 
that they could have negotiated partial rights, like the rights to the Akalabeth, but not to the rest of the of the Silmarillion. Right. So just because even if they did have Akalabeth rights, that doesn't necessarily prove that they have the whole thing. The second thing that I would say is, you know, I think you could make a legal case that the primary story of the primary version of the Numenor story is not in the Akalabeth, but in Unfinished Tales. We get more Numenor material in Unfinished Tales. I, 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 I would argue at least as much as you get in the published Silmarillion. So conceivably, I, get, I don't know, depending on how it gets litigated, essentially, you could argue if they had if they had and I don't know that they do have. But if they did have unfinished tales rights, which I would think would be easier to acquire than Silmarillion rights, if they had acquired unfinished tales rights, uh, then they might that 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 by itself might give them all that they needed. Uh, certainly. And, th- and this the, the 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 presence, the possibility of unfinished tales rights uh, being included in the in the Amazon license um, was suggested to me in the when they released the map, right? Because they they use some of the names which only right. appear in unfinished tales uh, in the map, and that it, it's it, it doesn't like prove that they have those rights, but it was really suggestive to me. Um, and and it could depend on the contracts of those other documents too. So if if unfinished tales are similarly or with somebody else, then it could be in in that somebody else's best interest to have Amazon do a little bit with it. So there could be, you know, a secondary contract that says, yes, you can have access to this story, but we need to approve X, Y, Z, you know? Yeah. So there could be like another layer of protection, but yeah, you know, it, exactly. you can't say it's only second age because of this. It, it could span a little right. bit farther than right. we know. Yeah. We just, we just really don't know. I mean, the only thing that we know, the only fact that we know is that Amazon did negotiate a big new rights deal, um, that they're not just using the same rights. deal, And that 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 that, that original rights deal has been, you know, passed around and passed around. I mean, that has been used and reused so many times. Um, I yeah. mean, not only the Peter Jack, you know, like like basic like the Bakshi film, the Rankin Bass film, uh, the Jackson films, Lord of the Rings Online, every other video game that's ever come Another out, all of that stuff is on the, the 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 same rights deal based on the same rights deal that was originally uh, negotiated. Um, so this was oh from the beginning. This was always the biggest news about the Amazon project was that they had negotiated a a new deal. That's what cost all the money, right? I mean, people talk about how much the you know, how much money people, you know, talk about like, you know, the billion dollar uh, show. A lot of that, like half of that <laughs> was just in the new rights right. deal. And that's why that was such a big deal. Um, uh, so uh, anyway. OK, so um, let's see. Um, uh, Maddie, Ellen was asking, do we have any idea when this is supposed to begin airing? No, I haven't heard anything about that. No, um, I'm, no I'm they've only sure. said 2021. We don't yeah. know when. We have the year. We do know uh, that the first two episodes have been filmed. Um, okay. So the, the first and second were filmed back to back and they're done from what we can infer, at least the filming, the production element. Um, I think they're about to start the rest of the season. I can't confirm that, but I feel like I read that, that they're in process of preparing for the rest of it. And I think they're filming seasons one and two back to back as well, that which I means that they would technically have the arc right. for right. two full seasons. For two full seasons, sure. Um, what would you, just based on your you know experience with these kinds of productions, what would you guess that would, like, if they're if they're at around that stage of the filming, 
what would you does that mean probably like fall or you know like december of this year or earlier there's there's kind of two factors there like if they film them back to back and they're ready to go straight into post-production then they could have them out by early summer you know i mean that 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 is definitely feasible especially if they're able to edit it together in sequence and get season one sorted before two so it is entirely possible we could see something early summer but i think there's going to be a secondary consideration that is covid and marketing yeah so it's going to depend absolutely what you know hbo max is going to do with all of their warner brothers access and what disney plus is doing with all of their launches and if we're still locked down and everybody wants this massive premiere, I mean, we saw what happened with Wonder Woman and things like that. This is what Amazon wants. They want an event. Right. So I think they'll look at the release calendar as well, which is changing every week, right. depending right. on right. You know, the state of the world. Yeah. Yeah. So I would guess it would be either summer or Christmas. Those are my guesstimates. Yeah, that 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 makes a lot of sense. Um yeah, Ray points out, and merchandising as well. You know, the, the other thing that has to be taken into account. It is Amazon. You know, they're going to tie that in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, good. So let's um, uh, let's let's talk about the synopsis itself. Um, I'll well, it's short. I'll just read it, and then we can kind of you know, so we can get the whole picture, and then we'll kind of talk about it, uh, sort of line by line. Um, okay. Amazon Studios' forthcoming series brings to screens for the very first time the heroic legends of the fabled Second Age of Middle-earth history. This epic drama is set thousands of years before the events of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, and will take viewers back to an era in which great powers were forged, kingdoms rose to glory and fell to ruin, unlikely heroes were tested, hope hung by the finest of threads, and the greatest villain that ever flowed from Tolkien's pen threatened to cover all the world in darkness. Well, one of the several times that that hero threatened to cover all the world in darkness uh details, details. yeah you know he has he has a, he has a long career you know this is what this is what uh sauron mark two i think that uh, we're on here at this point but okay uh, anyway beginning in a time of relative peace the series follows an ensemble cast of characters both familiar and new as they confront the long feared reemergence of evil to middle earth from the darkest depths of the Misty Mountains, to the majestic forests of the elf capital of Linden, to the breathtaking island kingdom of Numenor, to the furthest reaches of the map, these kingdoms and characters will carve out legacies that live on long after they are gone. There I'm so glad you read it like that, because that's how I heard it in my head. Which <laughs> yeah, is why I, was I, can, I wasn't was planning like 19- to do something very dramatic, but I can't help it. You know, it was like a 1940s newsreel. It's like one day the brink of devastation. You know? <laughs> it just felt very like over the top. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, there. It is. Okay, so should we take this? I, I feel like I need to prompt you for this because your knowledge is going to be way deeper, and I can just chime in with film bits. But yeah, do you want to just go through it line by line? Sure, sure. We... Yeah, we've got some we've got some plot and location stuff, right? So we kind of broke it down here line by line. Um, so Second Age of Middle Earth, right? Okay, we so knew now, that. Now we knew that, but I, it, it, something just kind of struck me with the way that, you know it says um, uh, right brings to screens the heroic legends of the fabled Second Age of Middle Earth's history. What I was really interested in was the. I, I'm not saying that I think they're going to try to be comprehensive in their treatment of the Second Age, but it sounded a lot more comprehensive than I expected. You know, again, I, I wasn't necessarily just expecting like a Second Age preamble and then moving on, but. Um, there's a difference between saying 
we're going to take this one story from the second age and work that into, you know, uh, you know, build an arc around that and saying, you know, we're going to bring bring the second age to screens. You know, that's that's it's um, and even their whole, you know, sweeping panorama sentence at the end. Right. Um, gives the sense of. A, a, a desire for thoroughness that I wasn't necessarily expecting uh, from them. Um, uh, I was, you know, I was thinking something a little bit more uh, Anatar focused narrowly, like, you know, to, to really kind of you know, zoom in on Anatar and Celebrimbor and um, uh, the forging of the rings of power and sort of that story. Uh, the just the the scope of that feels wider than I expected. Again, maybe I'm maybe I'm reading too much into that, but that's that's kind of what it what it what it sounded like to me. Yeah, and the bit that I got from that was that all of a sudden it gave us something Googleable. So even if you weren't familiar with the series, you right. could really quickly type in Second Age of Middle Earth and right. be like, oh, okay, you know. And you <laughs> right. know, there's enough fandoms that have built this out. We can see how that ties yeah. to what we know. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely. a good gateway. Definitely, definitely. Um, Okay, so we get uh, right anyway. So sorry, going back to the going back to the plot here. Okay, our, our line by line. So great powers were forged. That is a really. And we do have a comment here from CJK who said, "Wasn't the ring forged in the Second Age?" Yeah, uh-huh. indeed, an excellent reference to forging. Yes, yes, the 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 uh, the forging word is conspicuous in that way. Um, uh, but of course, it's not only the ring of powers. Right to an era in which great powers were forged. Um, kingdoms rising to glory and falling to ruin. The falling to ruin I expected. The rising to glory surprised me a, a tiny bit, right? Um, if we're going to, I mean, so here's my question. A question that was not really on my radar screen at all. How much are we going to get about the rise of Numenor? And like the mm. rise of Numenor. I mean, are we going to start what? with Elros in episode one? I mean, are... are, are is Elros going to appear on screen? I would have said no a week ago, you know, that we wouldn't start. And now. Yeah, and now maybe. But that could also just be a, but that could also just be a marketing thing of yeah. like, we're talking about ruin, we better talk about glory, you know? So it could just be a, a bookend thing. But the fact that it's at least referenced, and we know it starts in a time of peace, so that infers that we've got some glorious beginning, and we're going to assume a happy ending to get us into season two, that there yeah. should be some moments of glory in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chatting Myth was asking uh, prospects of a flashback arc of the of the Arendel journey. See, now this is actually from a legal standpoint, I wouldn't want to be some the person who had to litigate the Arendel story. Because let me ask you this question: Where is the primary version of the Arendel story? Answer: Tolkien never wrote one. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. exist. So I would argue that actually, the ver- like the Bilbo's poem. I mean, like it's kind of. I mean, you could make an argument that Bilbo's poem is now. I you know, I think the you know the prose synopsis that we get in the Silmarillion is probably would probably be adjudicated to be the major one. So we probably won't get a Arendelle, uh certainly not depicted. You know, the whole story depicted on screen like that. Um, but um, uh, but it, it, the primary text of the Arendelle story is sort of a sore point personally because it's like the story he never actually told. Um, yeah, yeah. But um okay. Um so lost my train of thought. Epic drama, thousands of years. Epic drama, thousands of years. Oh yeah, the rise of kingdoms. Great the rise and fall forged. of kingdoms. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So how much Numenor? Again, and I'm not suspecting they're gonna because I mean to be perfectly frank, the first couple thousand years of Numenor are quite uneventful, right? You know, like they, what are they gonna depict there, right? Um, but um, uh, but it is it is kind of interesting to uh, to to think about falling to ruin. Um, we've got plural kingdoms falling to ruin. Um, my biggest question, and honestly, this was the that if there was anything new that I, well, I can't say took from it, but again, kind of suspected. I, I, I found myself, instead of drawing conclusions, I found myself asking new questions, basically, as a result of this synopsis primarily. And one of the new questions that I found myself asking was, are we even going to get to the last alliance in season one? I'm no longer sure. I would have guessed for sure that was going to be, you know, like we were going to get, we were going to start with like the forging of the rings of power with Celebrimbor and Anatar and, um, Eldarion uh, from uh, uh, from Numenor, right? And you know, Eldarion and Gilgalad being like darkness is rising in Middle Earth, and then Gilgalad, or and then sorry, Celebrimbor and Sauron making the rings of power, and then the war, and then uh, you know, and 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 we and we can do Numenor, right? And then the Last Alliance, um, basically do a Second Age arc. I am no longer confident that might be season two. I mean, we might get, we could really end season one with like the war with Sauron and Gilgalad, basically, you know, with, you know, where Elrond was besieged in Rivendell and Sauron is marching with Celebrimbor's corpse hanging from a pole, you know, like that, that would, you know, would be like, those would be the climactic events uh, then of the end of season one. And then the whole Numenor, the whole downfall of Numenor story uh, culminating in the uh, perhaps in the in the War of the Last Alliance, um, you know, with the return of Elendil and and uh, and his alliance with Gilgalad, who would have been well established from season one, uh, and then culminating with the death of Gilgalad and Elendil and the and the downfall of uh, Sauron, could then be the arc of season two. And we don't know what else they're picking up. So I mean, it could be that the alliance could be the end of season four, for all we know. You yeah. know, I mean, who I mean, knows it could. which it could. track they're going to pick up and how much artistic flexibility they're going to have. We can't assume that they have the same bank of knowledge that you have in your brain. So we have to hope that they do. But oh, I'm sure but, they. I'm sure that you know. I I I'm I'm not overly skeptical of their you know lore resources but um no it's but, just how much attention they want to put on it you know yeah, because how much story before, they think they can they, make out of it and how much how yeah, much they take the outline of a story but yeah. then they you know go off on a tangent that they have total artistic freedom with so we just have to see where they go with that direction and we do have some evidence of completely new storylines for which they will have complete uh, uh, creative freedom, or almost complete creative freedom. Um, that was one of the things that particularly perked me up there uh, in that description. But hang on, so I'm gonna, there's lots of questions coming in, so I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm trying to sort of sort some things here. Um, but um, uh, okay, so just to clarify, Daniel, good question. The book ends of the Second Age, right? So when we're talking about the Second Age, what we're talking about is so the First Age ends with the fall of Morgoth, right? The fall of Morgoth and the breaking of Thangorodrim. That's the end of the First Age. So uh, from you know when we're cleaning uh, cleaning house, uh, you know, in Middle Earth after the after the uh, the 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 war uh, the War of Wrath, that's the beginning of the Second Age. Um, and but basically the beginning of the you know so like what events happened at the very beginning of the second age the founding of Numenor is pretty close to the like very beginning of the second age it's like the first you know apart from like and then 
the good guys went home, back to Elven Home in Valinor, right? It is kind of the very first thing that happens in the Second Age. Um, but uh, the establishment of Numenor is, is really kind of the headliner of the beginning of the Second Age. Um, then the end, the bookend, is the fall of Sauron, the, 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 the War of the Last Alliance. Um, I know that in my own head, I often tend to think of the downfall of Numenor as the end of the second age. I mean, I, I kind of like identify the second age with Numenor, basically like the, you know, the beginning of Numenor is the beginning and the end of Numenor is the end, but it's not, it's the battle of the last Alliance. So all that stuff that happens after, um, I say all that stuff, the war of the last Alliance is the stuff that I'm talking about. Uh, the arrival of the Numenorean exiles, um, in, um, uh, in middle earth and then the teaming up with Gilgalad and the war against Sauron. Uh, you know, the Battle of Daggerlad and all that stuff. That's 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 it's still in the Second Age. So the Third Age doesn't begin until after Elendil and Gilgalad are dead. Um, so um, anyway, so that's that's uh, those are the, the technical um, the framework framework uh, there. And, the, you know, the, the fact that they have identified the Second Age explicitly means we're, we're certainly going to be in there. Um, uh, uh, S. Jaeger, yes, uh, a younger tree beard would be both funny and awesome. You are correct on both counts, and of course he's totally there. I mean, we know he was there in the first age. Um, he says as much. Uh, in, in the 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 song that he sings, like the unpopular song that he's tree beard gives us a couple songs, right? He gives us his awesome marching song, uh, which is great, and he gives us his famous Ent and Entwife song, which everybody is interested in because everybody loves the Entwives. Um, and then there's that other song that he so sings, the In the Willow Meads of Tassaranen uh, uh, song, which is a complete perplexity to people who have only read the Lord of the Rings because the entire poem is just chock full of proper nouns from the Silmarillion, which remember hadn't been published at the time. So like the entire first generation of readers of the Lord of the Rings were reading this poem like, and what? being like, I haven't the faintest idea what Treebeard <laughs> is talking about here, but those are all Beleriand uh, points of interest. So we know Treebeard was there. So Treebeard, no question, is going to be there. Uh, yeah. And that's an easy, pleasant nod to the familiar, you know? So it's it's comedic relief. It's an excellent way to get a story from point A to point B to bring in somebody that can help move that forward that we know. That, yes. That's a no-brainer on my side from production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think uh, I think we're going to have that. I'll be disappointed uh, if we don't get a Tom Bombadil cameo, cameo uh, to be perfectly frank. Be not only because, like, he's obviously there, uh, but because this is this is stuff is happening in his backyard. I mean, this, the war is in Eriador, right? I mean, it's, it's not like, you know, he's not going to be part of the War of the Last Alliance, right? But when Sauron invades Eriador, I mean, you know, Tom Bombadil... He's going to be. And there's still a nearby. lot of, and there's still a lot of hurt feelings from Bombadil not being included in Peter Jackson's adaptations. Yeah. So yeah. again, a nice way to like a little nod to the fans. All right, here's your buddy. <laughs> Put him right. in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yes. okay. So, okay. So, man, so many good questions. Um, I know. Hope they'll show some Karn Doom and the Witch King. Yep, I agree, but not this season. That's a third age thing. Um, so much of this. And this is one of the things that kind of can sort of blow your mind, actually, when you're um, when you're kind of going through this stuff. The second age was a long time ago, right? The second age, the events of this show, they said thousands of years, four to five thousand years before the events Wrap your head around that for a second. 5,000 years before the War of the Ring, we're going to be getting events uh, in this show. 
most of the events that you're accustomed as a Lord of the Rings reader to think of as ancient history are way later than this, right? You know, people say, oh, are they going to include the Blue Wizards? Maybe someday, but we're millennia before the wizards arrive in Middle-earth. They're they're a third age phenomenon. Again, the Witch King, Angmar, yeah, that's ancient history. That's like more than a thousand years ago by the time, but it's the distant future from the perspective of this. Um, So there are a lot of things that are um, going to be that are that, you know, you would imagine that we're not going to get basically um so yeah, yeah we've got one comment here so a thousand years per season i'd be real surprised if they did that though because that doesn't give us any time to bond with the cast that they're establishing and it really sounds like they want us on board with this fellowship so right well I, there are there are some characters that we can like gilgalad is around for multiple millennia right so uh <laughs> uh you know the, the 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 uh the elves are convenient that way um we can get lots of elrond uh and lots of gilgalad um in fact right. you know the um the Gilgalad and Elrond, uh, like buddy cop thing, I'm really looking forward to. Right? I mean, Elrond and Gilgalad were like partners for. I mean, the, you know, Elrond was, uh, w- you know, was Riker to Gilgalad's Picard for like 3,500 years. Uh, I mean, yeah, think about the unspoken communication they'd have by that yes. point. We would just eat it up on screen. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. so yeah. I mean, that's going to be really fun. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. There's shorthand back and forth. Oh, there's so many fun things you could do with that. It's like that long of a relationship. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's going to be. Uh, it's going to be. It's going to be fun. Um, Okay, so uh, so let's see. Um, we talked about a rising to glory and fall. Oh, no, we, uh, there's something I want to say about falling to ruin. Um, okay, I better hurry up and we can't talk about everything for 45 minutes. Um, multiple, multiple kingdoms falling to ruin, um, you know, is going to be interesting. I mean, and, and I think my suspicion is that what we are alluding to there uh, is certainly um, Eregion, Celebrimbor's, kingdom is going to be the number one kingdom, which is certainly going to fall to ruin during the course of season one. I think that's our number one uh, kingdom most likely to fall to ruin during season one is is Eregion. Is Numenor going to fall to ruin during season one? I wonder. It could. Uh, but that could, as we said, potentially be a season two thing. Um, hmm. uh, even Sauron's own kingdom uh, is going to fall to ruin. A couple times, <laughs> you know, uh, so, um, uh, you know, they could be referring to some of that stuff, too. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, OK, but anyway, so moving on, uh, the greatest villain uh, threatening to cover the world. Oh, and before, oh, I skipped one before that. I I'm like, we one. should definitely focus on just the villain. But I, the fact that there's unlikely heroes and hope hung by the finest to me, that was just a marketing thing of like, yep, we've got unlikely heroes and oh, we're going to be stressed out and hope hangs. But they still use the words unlikely hero and hope. So like those are both like such emotive words in terms right. of prompting reaction and engagement. I was like, OK, yep. But then that next bit, you know, the greatest villain that sparked some conversation now, didn't it? Depends on how you uh, take the word greatest, right? Uh, if you yeah. take greatest from a literary perspective, sure, 
Okay, yeah, no, I agree. I would agree with the premise that Sauron is a greater villain than Morgoth uh, from a literary better standpoint. Known. Yeah, better known, Quite better developed. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, greatest in absolute value is nonsense, right? That's just a ridiculous yeah. thing to say. But you know, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. You know, hang on. Bend over backwards. You know that, that kind of thing. By the way, on the um, uh, on the subject of probably resisting the temptation to read too far into things. The juxtaposition of unlikely heroes and hope, of course, immediately gets me thinking about Aragorn and Estelle. And, uh, you know, I... Let me say it this way. I like to think that they are act, they're, that they are actually thinking about that and, like, sowing seeds, you know, for, like, the future. Obviously, Aragorn is not going to be in this series, right? Or, you know, in this, uh, in this season. Um, but... But it is equally obvious that any Tolkien fan, any Lord of the Rings fan, is going to know that Aragorn is the culmination of the Numenor arc, right? You know that, and it's uh, one of the things that you know in the Silm Film Project in our uh, adaptation discussion that we've been having for years. Um, one of the things that we often talk about is playing the long game, right? You know, when we're talking about depicting stuff back in the first age, which is of course what we're talking about in the Silm Film Project. Um, we often think about like wanting to stage things in exactly such a way as to anticipate the famous Lord of the Rings scene, you know, which is like yeah. it. Um, so, I mean, there is no question that in the minds of, of Tolkien fans watching this, Aragorn is not going to be in the show, but he is going to be like the looming presence, which is in the wings, which is being anticipated by all of these things. I mean, he isn't the only one, but he's a major figure. So, uh, you know, would that... And I uh, remember talking, it, and I so, remember talking yeah. to the Lord Show game designers, and they were saying the same thing. We don't mind if it references something you're familiar with from right. the films. You right. know? So there's already that kind of... And when you say unlikely hero, I mean, to me, that in like next to that definition in the dictionary is Bilbo and Frodo. So even if they don't touch into the hobbits, we have this kind of understanding of what they're referring to. So that yes. reference, that like understanding, great. That only serves us to engage with the story and say, I can relate to this hero. Great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, autoflagellator, you're absolutely correct uh, that Aragorn's sword might make an appearance. And I certainly will be Definitely. deeply disappointed if our attention is not drawn uh, to Narsil during the uh, during the show, yeah. as, as it will certainly be around. Um, absolutely. Um, OK, so, so we uh, talked about relative peace. We talked about characters familiar and new. Yep. Yep. confront the long-feared re-emergence of evil to Middle-earth. We wouldn't have much of a story if there wasn't some evil to threaten. Yes, yes. And, and then uh, we get into the geography. The, uh, one last touch on long-feared yeah. re-emergence. Um, that seems to me a fairly clear reference to... And here I'm thinking about the story in the short story Alderion and Arendis in Unfinished Tales, um, where Alderion, who is the crown prince of Numenor, essentially, um, is uh, interacting with Gilgalad, right? He's, he's both corresponding with Gilgalad and he's visiting Gilgalad. On the, you know, he, he's the first of the Numenorean ship kings. And um, he... Uh, Gilgalad is warning of you know, that there is a shadow that is growing in Middle-earth. Like, the, the, the long-feared re-emergence of evil is exactly the tenor. That, that, that is precisely the tenor of what Gilgalad, with his right-hand man, 
Elrond um, are perceiving and are kind of working against uh, in Middle Earth. So that's um, I would still predict um, that the very beginning, like Episode One, uh, is likely to be in the context of Aldarion. Gil- the, 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 the visits of Aldarion, the Numenorean prince, to uh, Gilgalad and Elendil in Linden, uh, and their just you know, and their you know, discussion of the long-feared reemergence of evil, you know, the shadow that is growing in the land, and they don't know what it is, but they're afraid that it might be, and you know that um, th- this is because um, uh, remember Sauron. Sauron was a lieutenant under Morgoth. I mean, he was famous in the first age, but he wasn't like the headliner, obviously. He wasn't the general. Right, right. So trying that a shadow is growing is something which Gilgalad apparently can in some sense perceive who it is, what it is, is not going to be a no brainer. I mean, you know, so we shouldn't have people like Gilgalad being like, you know, everyone being like, it is what we feared. Sauron is arising again. Like, they might say that. Why would they say that? Like, that's not a thing yet. Like, this, this, right. Sauron, this is Sauron rising for the first time. I mean, he was, it, it's still his first comeback because he was there before and got beat up. Um, but he's never been the power before, right? This would be the first time that he's really establishing yeah. himself as the power. You'd still have people that don't know who he is and would be asking that question. You know, yeah. who's this guy? You know, yeah. So there's, there's going to be a reestablishment of what we think we know of Sauron. We're going to have, I imagine, we're going to have an insight into the character behind that and yeah. it won't just start off as evil i i hope there's some humanity put into that so we see a little bit more of a dynamic character that then ends up being the sarum that we're familiar with yeah yeah um do i i i have to confess to kind of hoping that somebody when 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 people find out that it's that it you know or start theorizing that it might be sauron arising that somebody says something along the lines of isn't he the guy who got beat up by that girl and her dog? Uh, you know, but, you know, I don't, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Um, um, yeah, they would know Sauron as that guy who killed Finrod, uh, Phil. That's a really good point. Um, yeah. Uh, certainly likely to be a major um, uh, kind of uh, touch point for Sauron's history uh, for, most of the, for most of the folks. Um, uh, will we see more of Sauron as Anatar? Oh, Anatar! Yes, I expect Sauron to be an Anatar guys for a like the first time. Ta- In fact, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if the like the turn right from I am Anatar, the giver of gifts, to Celebrimbor becomes aware of the forging of the One Ring, and Sauron drops his fair seeming and is now become Sauron the Dark Lord, and now like declares himself the Lord of Middle Earth and March. Like that, that that's would be like you know the, a major dramatic turning point in the center of the season's arc. Uh, is is something that I could easily see. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, Okay, but anyway, locations, geography. You wanted to go on to geography, which is very, which is a good idea. I never want to rush you, but I also know that you've got a few minutes. Left. I do. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a, I've got an endpoint here. Okay. Yep. And the geography is really telling, so we should it dig is. into this a little bit. Yes, definitely. Uh, start with the first one. Yes, yeah? so we've got darkest depths of the misty mountains. So Hazadum, obviously. I mean, there yep. really can't be anything else that we're talking about, and darkest depths. Really, like the darkest ones. So we're talking Balrog here? That's what I'm hoping. We've only seen one, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 
it could just be that they're referring to Moria in general when they're talking about, but I mean, we're not just talking about the dark depths. No, no, no. These are the darkest depths of the Misty Mountains. And we know who lives in the darkest depths of the Misty Mountains. Okay, that's true. As Phil points out, nameless things gnaw the darkest depths of the Misty Mountains. But I should have said, you know the headliner who lives in the darkest depths of the Misty Mountains, and it's clearly the Balrog. And yes, there's probably many other things that are nameless that we're going to see as well, leading up to the big bad that we do know. Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, and yeah, I know uh, Yomaki and I agree. Uh, uh, heading to the Balrog already seems hasty. I mean, the uh, delving too greedily and too deep, that's a third age thing. Again, that doesn't happen in the second age. The kingdom of Khazad Doom stands through the second age. Um, yeah. So maybe not, or but it's possible. Or they establish it early and the payoff is later. You know, we or could just have an it. illusion that there's something terrifying. Right. Or they bring out the Balrog a couple millennia sooner. That's not impossible. Yeah. That's not impossible. Um, that's the kind of thing that I know Tolkien fans don't want to hear. But it, it right. can I imagine that as a kind of creative license that they choose to take? Yeah. The sh- shifting around the chronological time frame. Um, I mean, it, I, I, I got to be honest. In my mind, that's a relatively tame kind of change to be making yeah and i think that's one of the things we should probably just prepare ourselves for it's not going to be a specific timeline that we're following it's going to be a new story told in a different way so we're going to have to speed a few things up slow a few things down move a few things around so the same tone and the same action comes across that we get from the story right and the way to do that is to bring things in from different spots right yeah so it's i mean honestly the primary role, it's, it's, it's not that it's shocking that they're going to bring Hazadum in at all, because, I mean, hey, like, showing Hazadum in its glory on screen? Yes, please. Like, that sounds great. But, um, of course, it's, 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 it's the proximity to Eregion, right? I mean, we know that there were close relationships between the Noldor in Eregion and the dwarves of Hazadum, as evidenced, of course, by the Gates of Moria. Um, so they were obviously going to be there. But the fact that we're listing that as a location, I mean, it could just be a curiosity, but it sounds like it's going to there's there, there's going to be a story. There's there's going to be a Khazad-Dum plot line, basically. And I will be interested because, honestly, apart from the Balrog, there aren't that many narratives like stories about what happened in Khazad-Dum. We don't we don't have many stories. I mean, we know the fact that they were friends with Eregion, But what does that mean? Um, yeah. We know in one version of the stuff in un, in unfinished of the Goadriel stuff in unfinished tales that she was friends with the dwarves of Moria as well. Um, but again, those are, those aren't narratives so much as, you know, nuggets concepts. But right? we do know that there's centuries of life there. So there's a lot of rich fodder to build. Right. From. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, yeah. th- they easily could make some interesting stories. And of course, like, what, how did the fall of Celebrimbor and the any what, what what was the reaction of the dwarves to you know the forging of the rings of power you know to the forging of the ring of power to to Anatar mm-hmm. right you know did he how did he get on with the dwarves did they were they uneasy about it was like, there's there's a lot of story to build out there um, and I think that that would uh, that that would be interesting Phil suspects they It'll will use well. whatever version of the story bigs up Galadriel for sure. I mean, she's a major yeah. character, obviously, you know, a major, um, uh, uh, you know, kind of 
node narrative node in the history of Middle Earth, right? Uh, they're very familiar uh, to uh, Lord of the Rings readers. So, and it's definitely been one of the casting decisions that they've promoted quite strongly. So we can assume that they're going to be using her pretty yeah. heavily. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so Moria stuff. The majestic forests of the elf capital of Linden. Well, okay, so Gilgalad. That, that, again, that one was a no-brainer, um, but lovely to see that. Um, uh, the the reference to the fact that it's not only the great city of Linden, you know, the great, you know, but but the elf capital, right? Elf capital points directly to the high king. Uh, Gilgalad. Um, and honestly, if I had to put on my, put a, you know, like a short list of things I am most excited about, uh, in for this show, one of them would certainly be, um, the, the development of the character of Gilgalad. Um, I mean, he is with the possible exception of Arendel, whose story is never fully told. As I said, Gilgalad is, is one of the characters with the longest, most interesting story that Tolkien never tells at all, right? I mean, he is never more... In, in the narratives Tolkien wrote, Gilgalad is never more than a bit part, sometimes just an illusion, right? And yet, when you actually kind of map out the history of especially the Second and Third Ages of Middle-earth, um, and not even just especially, including the First Age of Middle-earth, he has... He, he is not just the last of the high kings of the of the Noldor. He's the greatest of the high yeah. kings of the Noldor. I mean, I'm sorry, Fingolfin's rule as high king of the Noldor was eventful and Fingolfin is awesome. But his rule was a flash in the pan compared to Gilgalad. Gilgalad rules for almost 10 times as long as Fingolfin ruled. I mean, it's crazy. Um um so you know, he takes, uh, when does he take over kingship? Bjorn Asoner asks, he takes over kingship after the death of Turgon, the fall of Gondolin. So from the fall of Gondolin through the, the War of the Last Alliance, Gilgalad is the high king of the, through the entirety of the Second Age of Middle-earth. Um, and he's not only there, you know, he's, he's not just marking time during those millennia as high king. He's acting as high king uh in uh uh in in middle earth one of the lines again it's one of those very brief passages that you know one of these classic tolkien gilgalad passages where we get a reference but and a glimpse of a story but no substance of narrative right um is in the akalabeth when sauron returns after the whole numenor thing which was you know kind of win loss situation for uh for Sauron. Anyway, when he gets back to Middle Earth, right? Um there's this one clause in which Tolkien says, and when he returned to Middle Earth, Sauron found that the power of Gilgalad had greatly increased in his absence. What does that mean? What was Gilgalad doing? How does his power increase? Does he get more allies? Right? Does he he he's 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 been doing stuff. He's been what exactly is he doing? And in conjunction with whom? I've got to think he's laying the foundations of the last alliance, right? So when Elendo comes along, Gilgalad says, you know, I got the I got the ponies, right? Let's saddle him up and and let's 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 head out. I've been spending the last millennium you know, arranging this network of folks to resist the the rise of the shadow. So there's a, he's up to a lot. He does a lot of things. And yet again, we don't have any um, 
narrative. Like there's there's there isn't a single contiguous paragraph of Gilgalad narrative in the entire corpus of Tolkien. So Gilgalad, uh, yeah, by all means, take me to the majestic forest of the elf capital of Linden. I am keen to see that. And again, coming at this from uh, you know a side where like a load of people are not going to know all this detail, and Amazon wants a huge audience. So yeah. even just like the basics, that sentence infers to us that these are not just pretty elves that live in the woods. This is a capital that has a structure, that has yeah. a government, that has purpose, and we can imagine the armies, we can imagine the structures, and and that lends itself, I think, to just digging in a little bit deeper. And so which all stands of those, like, for simple ten times. Yeah. But we know you know, the exactly. real depth under that that they have access to build. Absolutely. Right. And that capital stands for 10 times as long as Gondolin stands. <laughs> I mean, it gets, seriously, that's what we're, I mean, that, that, that Gilgalad's capital at Linden, longest standing center of Elvish power um, uh, in Middle Earth, in the history of Middle Earth. I mean, it's, 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 he's such a big deal. He's such a big deal. Yeah. Um, the breathtaking island kingdom of Numenor. Well, yes, you know, and yes, to me, the real, do. yeah, uh, but, but, but again, thank you for confirming. Uh, the, yeah. uh, the real question to me is how central is Numenor going to be? Are we oh. going to get, you know, my immediate guess would be that there will certainly be Numenorean characters. I would guess particularly Eldarian and, and Eldarian, as I said, he's going to be, um, I think a, a very important figure there. Um, but, it could well be just like Numenorians in Middle Earth and then like the occasional trip back or like, you know, uh, uh, Eldarion brings the letter of uh, uh, Gilgalad back to his father, the king. Right. And so we get the, you know, the panoramic tour through, um, you know, uh, you know, through Numenor as he goes. Is, is is that what we're going to get from Numenor or are there going to be whole like episodes which take place in Numenor? Are we going to get whole plot arcs and character development of minor Numenorians? Like that, th that I don't know. That's one of the things I really wonder. I think we're going to spend a lot of time. I mean, if it were me, I would spend a lot of time in each of these worlds. So right. we want to see, you know, the detail, the depth, the history, the culture, all of the social mores. So when they start to come together, we understand the clashes really strongly. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think we're going to spend a fair bit of time in each of these. And the word breathtaking, I thought was quite markety, where they're like, yeah. it's going to be stunning. Yes. You know, so it's enough to like keep you engaged. And just fabulous. Wonder. Island Kingdom of Numenor. Yeah, absolutely. Um <laughs> So, then we get to the what I find the most interesting phrase in the entire synopsis: the furthest reaches furthest of, the reaches of the map. Now, the furthest reaches of the map. Let's look at the map. Um, what are the furthest reaches of the map? So I'm 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 gonna just assume that we're talking about this map. Right, because that's the, the map they started that, by that releasing. Lord of the Rings that. Amazon put out exactly that teased us all those so, months ago. Furthest reaches, right? I, 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 obviously, we're not talking about Linden, right? You know, Linden and Eriador, which is going to be the has to be the primary theater of action, is um, on the one hand, from the point of view of you know Middle Earth, a furthest it's it's a furthest reach, right? But it's obviously not the furthest reaches that we're talking about because that's the central thing, right? Numenor, of course, is kind of furthest reach of this map, too. It's way down in the bottom corner. But again, obviously, that's been listed separately, so we're not talking about it either. So Rune and Hard are the only thing that's that, that are left, right? Um, 
And uh, um, this, of course, draws attention to the fact that something which we observed at the time, but we didn't really know what to say about, which is all of this blank space down here in the bottom right-hand corner of this map, right? Uh-huh. I mean, on the one hand, you could say, well, they had to include that in order to squeeze Numenor into the picture because Numenor is, you know, down, like, close to the equator, right? So, um, uh, you know, in order to squeeze... But you could have put it in a box if you didn't want to include... Like, there are more efficient ways to do that than to, <laughs> than to include... We just get that one little reference to Umbar and we get all this space. Empty space. And notice well, the one thing that appears in the middle of the empty space? An arrow. A giant fish. <laughs> well, okay. A giant fish. No, 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 no. Not that empty space. Um, over, over here. Oh, yeah. Right. There's the road that comes down. And this is the road. You'll notice this is the road that uh, goes through Athelion, right? And heads down to. And then we just get an arrow pointing in the direction Mm -hmm. of the empty spot, the big empty spot, which is like a third of the map, right? Personally, my suspicion is that that's what we're going to get. Now, what are we going to get there? I have no idea. I have no idea. But here's the one thing that I would say about that. We know that Sauron Sauron has a job of work putting his armies together, right? <clears throat> Especially since, remember, this is Sauron as boss man Mark I, right? This is the first time Sauron has ever arisen before. He was operative in the first age, but this is the first time he's ever arisen as the big bad, right? So he doesn't have armies he can just whip up. Um, he's got to build that, Um And building that is going to require a couple things. It's going to require getting control of the existing orc populations that remain in Middle-earth. And it's going to require forging relationships of a peculiar sort with the men that we know are going to be in his armies in Khan and Harad and Rune. Um, You know, the Easterlings and the Haradrim are going to join Sauron, but... Again, it's this is not just like, you know, he, he he's not just putting up Uncle Sam posters around Harad, right? Recruiting for his army. He's just hire mercenaries, right? This is a process. And Tolkien talked about this, actually. Again, I know, you know, are they going to do this kind of thing? I don't know. But when Tolkien talked about this, he talked about um, the process of moral corruption. Think about the process in Numenor, right? How he, he takes them from where they are to human sacrifice, slavery and human sacrifices, right? Um, That same kind of corruptive process. uh, Tolkien talked about the process that that, that, uh, Sauron would have had to go through in order to build a human army that's willing to come up, stand shoulder to shoulder with an orc army and be like, yeah, we're a team. Us and the orcs, we're all in this together, right? Um, You have to bring, you know, you can't just have starry-eyed recruits who, you know, believe that they're really the good guys, right? There's, so, there, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a process here. So if I had to guess what exactly we are going to see in the farthest reaches of the, in, in the farthest reaches of the map, it's going to be the process of Sauron building his armies. The, the answer to the question, how do the Haradrim and the Easterlings fall under Sauron's control in the first place. Yeah. That's what's happening. This is the first place. Right. And when you say, and when you say process, I mean, really that's 
political propaganda, you yeah. know? So like that is just going to be pretty fascinating. And cult to... worship. They worship him as a god, yeah. right? So he's got to yeah. build his own cult of Sauron, right? So, you know, so he's got to come in. So it's 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 going to be a process of religious conversion to a sketchy cult, uh, which is yep. probably going to involve things like human sacrifice. At least that's part of the, part of the uh, you know, the operation he runs in Numenor, as we see, right? Um, uh, so yeah, a combination of propaganda and 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 uh, 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 cult conversion and stuff like that. That's um, I, yeah. If I had to guess, because that we know literally nothing about what was happening in Rune and Kara and about Rune and Hara during the during the Second Age. We know nothing. Oh, okay, no. The only thing we know, and we know it indirectly, is that they were fighting with Sauron, right? But again, that doesn't just happen magically. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, so that would be my guess. That would be my guess. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I think that was most of the things. Um, Kingdoms yeah, and, and then the the carving out legacies, legacies that live yeah. on. Yeah. We, we knew that would be there. Like, yeah, of course. It's all uh, going to tie into what you all know and love. Right, yes. And don't worry, we haven't forgotten the Lord of the Rings plot and the fact that we need to get around to that. Yeah, yeah. That a Lord right. of the Rings show should probably also include, you know, the Lord of the Rings narrative. Don't worry, we're going to get there. Um, yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, I think that uh, the... Oh, we, we kind of skimmed over briefly the reference to characters new and old, right? I mean, obviously they're going to be making up, you know, some of their own character, which should happen. I mean, it should yeah. happen. Tolkien is, uh, to to state it uh, lightly, far from exhaustive in his character lists, right? When he gives the very sketchy overview, even the Akalabeth is a very sketchy overview of the whole narrative of Numenor and the Second Age, right? Um, uh, well, again, we have such a general thing to refer to. It's just like amazing creative fodder for these people to just pull what they want and make these storylines up, basically, within the yes. world we know and with the approval of Tolkien estate and everything. But yeah. Yeah. they got a lot of creative freedom. Exactly. So several people are talking about um, um, are talking about uh, the backstories, basically, you know, the origin stories of the Nazgul, um, which absolutely, yes. Do I expect that to happen? I do expect that. Now, it's it's way too early. Way, way, way too early. We're millennia before the dudes, you know, the nine kings who are going to be corrupted by the nine rings. Um, maybe not. I mean, I don't know. It's it, It'll be interesting. I do think that we are going to get... Um, we... We could get some of that, and I think that we're certainly going to set some of that stuff up at the very least. Um, uh, so, yeah, yeah. Um, will we get Kamal the Easterling? Very likely. Are we going to get the Black Numenorians and what's the backstory there? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the emphasis, especially on the furthest reaches of the map stories, really uh -huh. do work towards the backstories of the... Um, the backstories of of the Nazgul, like in in that direction, that could that does seem to me be a uh, to be a and yes, the mouth of Sauron, absolutely. Now again, yeah, so mouth good. of Sauron, mortal dude, not going to be born for thousands of years. But again, but like what the they concept. can do, the the wonderful opportunity yeah. of doing the long version story in this way is that they're gonna be able to get, um, they're gonna be able to build. To anticipate that stuff, right? They're going to be able to anticipate yeah. that stuff so that when we get the mouth of Sauron, we're going to, like, understand his context in certain ways that, you know, 
what we're told about him in the Lord of the Rings barely provides, right? We'll have like yeah. what he wears will be able to signal things to us, right? If we see the rise of the cult of Sauron and and uh, the backstory of you know, yeah. if we see the you know the culture of Harad go from you know, thriving independent culture to coming under the dominion of Sauron and the shadow falling over it. And it's becoming corrupted in various ways and, uh, uh, and, and ruled over by Sauron as dictator, God King. Um, then yeah, like the very, the very clothing that he wears can sort of will evoke for us memories of, you know, what happened in these things. So I think it's pretty, uh, I think it's pretty cool. I liked how focused on the literature this statement was. I feel like they knew the fans were more hungry for any information than anything else. Because yes. there's so many references to things from the text that, you know, the layperson wouldn't necessarily engage with. But it was general enough to just kind of be exciting. Right. I'm a little concerned that they didn't stray enough away from any kind of references to Game of Thrones that people are just going to keep beating that dead horse of, oh, it's just going to be just like it. But we have to just kind of compartmentalize and be like, this is Agreed. the content we have. This is what we know, which isn't much. So let's be optimistic and, and play around with it a bit more. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one thing I was glad about is that... So the the sentence that you were alluding to before, the clearly the most Game of Thronesy bit of this synopsis, right, is the uh, the... Great powers were forged. Kingdoms rose to glory and fell to ruin. Unlikely heroes were tested. Like that sentence is the most games of game of, and that's the like. Did you like Game of Thrones? You'll like this too. Sentence clearly right, but um, they did not include things like uh, shocking betrayals or you know like anything or, that suggested we're gonna do the same kind of like devious political drama that you really loved in game lost, of thrones or romance lost or romance right exactly you know? yeah, yeah yeah um they're so, really focusing on like almost the political side of it and the rise to power and these really attainable not attainable uh, relatable characters and unlikely heroes that that's the bit they're playing on right and even basically. hope hung by the finest of threads um Hope mm -hmm. is not a very Game of Thronesy concept. It's just not, right? I mean, there are many words I associate with George R. R. Martin's world. Hope is not one of them. Hope is not uh, one of them. So, so again, it's it's it for those Tolkien fans who are worried about the whole Game of Thrones thing. I do not see support for the idea that they're just going to do Game of Thrones dressed up in Tolkien, yeah. uh, you know, cosplay uh, in this series. I, I, I don't see evidence of that. Again, I, I clearly do see evidence of them attempting to appeal to that audience. No question. But, sure. uh, but, but I, I, I mean, would, they're both I like fantasy. That. It's, it's, yeah, it'd be a disservice if they didn't try to appeal to the same fan base, but they're also setting themselves apart. And hopefully as we start to see imagery and content come out of this, we'll get a little bit more confirmation of that. Yeah. That it is in a different class and category. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Bjorn Asoner uh, is correct. It's uh, uh, the uh, heroes. Unlikely he heroes is not a very Game of Thronesy concept either, really. No. Uh, so there are a couple pointers which seem to point in a non George R. R. Martin uh, uh, direction uh, which is which is kind of nice um, yeah. yeah cool all right well I should wrap up I am I am over my time here um, late. <laughs> yeah I, I'm, I'm late but it's all right um, well, we do 
Anyway, we'll do it again. This was cool. Yeah, we'll see, you know, what more we learn. It'll be interesting to learn a timeline when they have one as to when we can anticipate it. Um, But uh, of course, uh, I'm really excited to see the first images that way, other than the map image, of course. Um, But um, anyway, that's. uh, I'm sure there will be more stuff. So Maggie, thank you for joining me. Uh, I always appreciate uh, your take and uh, you know, you know so much more about the, the film and adaptation and uh, uh, of things than I do. It's always really wonderful to, to get your perspective on this. So thank you so much. Well, thanks. I love just sitting back and listening to you talk about it and go, Ooh, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> and, appreciate and, it. Yeah. And thanks everybody for joining us and uh, you know, stick around, uh, pay attention. We'll be popping up and, you know, every now and again for, uh, stuff like this when things come out. So thanks everybody, and we'll see where I got the film film coming up tonight at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, if you want to uh, talk about our uh, uh, theoretical adaptation there, so uh, stuff coming on uh, later this evening. Thanks everybody, and I'll see you guys around. Bye now. Yeah.